let's just start with a question. How many of you are really, really proud of your family? Anybody? You're in church. It's okay. Anybody got some people in your family you're not quite proud of? Oh. Wow, you're honest today. Great. Uh, you're in church, so you're probably thinking you've got you to give the you know, real answer. Um, our kids, we love them. They do great stuff. But, I mean, sometimes they do things that are just a little bit annoying. Um, Elise is our youngest. She's 11 now, but when she was about 7, 6 or 7 years old, she was singing happy birthday to me on my birthday. I think, I was, I think it was when I turned 51 or something, 52. And at her school, when you get, had a birthday, when you're 6 or 7, they sing happy birthday, you know. And then they go, are you 1, are you 2, are you 3? And then whatever birthday you are, then you get to clap or something. Well, she started that with me. Are you one? And then you can see the wheels turning. Like, this is going to take forever. So then she started, she said, are you 10? Are you 20? Are you 30? So I like her most of the time, but not always. And so I think some of that comes from uh, her mother's genes. Uh, you know, that's kind of how that works. But today we're going to talk about Jesus's heritage and, and how... I don't know, have you ever done that Ancestry.com thing? I, I looked online and, and I discovered the first uh, recorded, as far as we know, instance of the name Vest. My last name is Vest, V-E-S-T, like a three-piece suit. The first known reference to a person named Vest was a guy named Maurice de Vest. And, that, that's just, uh, and it says about him, he only lived 35 years. He, he was born in, 15, uh, in 1154. It says about him... He was the builder of churches. How cool is that? I also found Cooter Vest. He was the builder of stills. So, um, and Cletus Vest was the stealer of horses. So, you know, you got good and you got bad. And in Jesus' day, there, there's this huge emphasis on genealogy. So if you have your Bibles or if you have your tablets or if you want to look on your phone... Go to Matthew chapter 1. You may not have ever noticed this, or maybe you kind of notice it, but if you've ever made a commitment to read the Bible through for a year, or you, you want to read the New Testament through for a year, and you start in Matthew, Matthew begins with something called a genealogy. And if you've noticed it, I don't know about you, but it is really hard to read a genealogy. It's, you know, so-and-so is the father of so-and-so. And if you go to the King James, it's, you know, Billy Bob begat Bobby Bob, you know, that kind of thing. Begat. I mean, isn't that what you get at Panera with your soup bowl? I mean, so um, you, you, have to, you have to understand. It's about as exciting as reading a phone book is reading the genealogy. However, there is a reason it's strategically placed in Matthew at the very beginning. Because you have these two testaments. There's the Old Testament. And if you've ever read the Old Testament, they took a lot of care to, to know who was who. And they go into the New Testament, and sort of as a bridge between the old and the new, they started with a genealogy of Jesus. Now, it's, it's really important in the Jewish mind who was your, your grandparents and, and your ancestors. Really incredibly important. By the way, I read an article recently from the Wall Street Journal that said that there's a good chance some of us in this room, our ancestors were the people who came over on the Mayflower. Really kind of cool if you think about it. Um, here, here's, it says that 26 of the 102 people that came over in 1620 on the Mayflower 
lived to have kids who had kids who had kids who had kids. And they estimate that it's somewhere between about 30 million or more uh, Americans uh, have ancestry to the original people uh, who came over on the Mayflower. So that's about one in ten, one in ten. So like one out of every row of us is possibly uh, an ancestor of somebody that came over on the Mayflower. Well, in Jewish life, being an ancestor of somebody, it was really important because it determined, um, it determined who could own property. You know, if I'm the ancestor of, of, you know, Frank, then I can own this property. But if I'm not, I can't. So it's who owned property. Sometimes it was what occupation you could have. If you were going to be um, a priest, you had to have Levi's jeans. <laughs> I just love that. Uh, uh, Levi's jeans. Yeah. I appreciate, appreciate the token laugh. Thank you. Uh, uh, you, had to be an, uh, you had to be a descendant of Levi, and only descendants of Levi got to be priests. And so Jesus' genealogy was, was really critically important to, to them. So there are two places in the New Testament where the story of Christmas is told, Matthew and Luke. And, and we're going to look at just one verse from Luke. Check out what it says. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to a town called Bethlehem, which is called the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He was a descendant of David. Now, this is incredibly important. If you read this and you don't know, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Well, this is important because the Jewish people were oppressed. At the time Jesus was born, their country was occupied by another country who ruled with an iron fist. In fact, for years and years and years and years and years, the Jewish people were oppressed. And they were waiting for somebody to deliver them. He was called a Messiah. Somebody that would take away the oppression and free them for a a new, better life. And so, what they knew about this Messiah was this Messiah had to come from the line of David. It's really, really important. So... That's why Matthew begins with his genealogy. Except he kind of divides it into three paragraphs, basically. And then he gets to the end of it and he says, Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. If you were looking at this like a bar graph, like like a graph, it would would go kind of like this. I don't know where those lines came from, but let's just look at the white ones. Um, basically, uh, for 14 generations it went up, and then for 14 generations it went down, and then for 14 generations it went back up. So we're going to talk about these sort of three different distinct groupings because it's important that we understand it. Now, God's mercy was on display in Matthew 1, 2 through 6. I'm going to read it for you. I'm not, I'm not going to read all the genealogy, but, but just listen because... What I want you to note is that there are four women mentioned in this. Women are hardly ever mentioned in a Jewish genealogy. This is kind of remarkable, honestly. But it says, Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah, the father of Perez. And Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. First woman mentioned, Tamar. Now, 
It's not as if this particular woman would make your genealogy better. Uh, you know, Abraham was married to Sarah. So you could have said Sarah. That would have been great because he's a patriarch and she was a matriarch and that would have been good. And uh, Isaac was married to Rebecca. You could have said Rebecca and that would have been good. And, and uh, uh, Jacob was married to Rachel and that would have been good. You could have mentioned those ladies and it would have enhanced your genealogy. Tamar, not so much. I don't know if you know the story of Tamar. She was widowed. And in that culture, if you were widowed, then one of the, your brothers-in-law became your, uh, your husband so that you could carry on the, the line of that family. Well, uh, Tamar's father-in-law wouldn't give her another one of his sons. But basically, he, she was kind of the black widow. And uh, they were a little bit scared of her. So she seduces her father-in-law... This is like a Jerry Springer episode. I mean, I want you to think about it like that. She seduces her father-in-law, and she becomes pregnant. Now, again, this doesn't enhance your resume. He talks about Tamar here. And he's like, good grief, I can't believe you even included her. And then, then he goes on. Um, Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminabad. What a great name. Aminabad, the father of Nashon. Nashon, the father of Salmon. Salmon, the father of Boaz whose mother was Rahab. Ooh, guess what? Rahab wasn't that great either. You know what her occupation was? She was a lady of the night. She was, in Scripture, they're not a harlot. That's kind of nice. She, She wasn't a woman of virtue, and yet she's included in the genealogy of Jesus as well. And then it goes on. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, Ruth was a... She's a, she's a cool cat. I mean, she's pretty cool. So get one nice lady in there. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. Now listen to this language. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Her name was Bathsheba, by the way. Um, it, he, he doesn't mention the nice ladies. He mentions Tamar and Rahab and Ruth and Bathsheba. By the way... Isn't it interesting the way he, he uses the language here to describe um, Bathsheba? He doesn't even use her name. And, and there's a reason, I think, that... Look, if you have a whacked-out family, and you may... I mean, most of us have whacked-out people in our family. If you have a whacked-out family, the, the message of Scripture in this genealogy is, so did Jesus. And look how good He turned out. I mean, if... If you could pick your family tree like you pick a Christmas tree, would you pick that family line? With It's almost as if they had as many scoundrels as saints. And yet, that's who Jesus came from. I mean, it's not like we talk about any of these women, or maybe, maybe we talk about Ruth, but in youth group, we don't hold these girls up as people of virtue. Here, here's the point. God's love is bigger than just the Jewish race. What's super cool about this? Ruth wasn't even Jewish. Tamar uh, was Jewish. Um, Rahab, not Jewish. Two of the four aren't even Jewish. It's really important that, that for Matthew, that whoever was reading the genealogy understood everybody 
is welcome in God's family. Look at what it says in Genesis. It says, Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise of Abraham. It says, through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Not just Jewish people. Really, really important. And so he includes some, some misfits. By the way, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. That's Bathsheba, by the way. Um, that's kind of like when your kid does something wrong. Like, like, say, one of my kids does something wrong, and I would say to my wife, Miriam, that daughter of yours, that's what that is right there. It was, she, what she did, she was an adulteress. What she did was so scandalous that they didn't even include her name. But, but there's truth even in this. And that's that God loves, God's love embraces us even in our sinfulness. Don't you find it just kind of amazing that in Jesus' genealogy, there are people that would embarrass our family tree. We, we would be embarrassed by this line. And yet, they're in Jesus' family tree too. I, I just think it's, it's interesting. So, good news. You and I aren't the only ones that have, uh, in, in our in-laws, we have outlaws. Jesus did too. He had some people there that weren't, they were, they were noted, they just weren't noted for good, good things. So number one... Uh, God's mercy is on display. And then the next group of, of names is God's judgment. Is on, he talks about how they kind of declined. And, and there's a reason they declined. Hezekiah was the father of Manasseh. Manasseh the father of Amos. And Amos was this prophet. You have to understand the prophet. Uh, he would foretell what was going on. Or he would say, hey, this is the problem with our nation. And he told the problem of the nation. And he said, listen to this. You who rob the poor and trample the needy. The reason Israel went into decline. When David was king, they were on top of the world. 1,000 BC. They were really, they were smoking. And then they started to neglect the needy. That's what he's saying here. You can't wait for the Sabbath to be over so you can get back to cheating people. Well, good grief, that's not very nice. You measure out your grain in false measures. You weigh it out uh, on dishonest scales. Then you enslave poor people for a debt of one piece of silver and one pair of sandals. And it is a reminder to us, even in this genealogy, that Israel fell because they stopped caring about people. And when we get a hard heart to people in need, I mean, Christmas time, it's easy for us because it's in front of us a lot. And every place we go, there's a bell ringing reminding us that there are people in need. And we think about Hey, let's take these folks a meal and let's give these folks a present. And that's great. Christmas time is a great time to remind us that there are people in need. But you and I who follow Jesus need to understand something. It's not just Christmas time that people have a need. And so God's judgment was on display in part of the genealogy. But now the good news is there's an uptick. God's faithfulness is on display in the last part of the genealogy, because that's when we start to get closer and closer to Jesus, which is super cool. See, one thing these, all these people had, had in common, they were waiting for their deliverer. 
They were all waiting for their deliverer. Remember in, in Genesis it said, Through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. And in Psalm it said, I will establish, this was God speaking to David, I will establish your descendants as kings forever. They will sit on your throne from now until eternity. And there was this anxious anticipation, just kind of like a, a, a child waiting for Christmas morning. These people could not wait to have a deliverer. It's hard for us to explain this or to feel this because we, we don't know what it's like to be oppressed. I mean, like oppression like that was oppression, where you had no freedoms. I mean, America is a great place if for no other reason you can express yourself. There was no expressing yourself. There was, there was constant worry that you could be thrown into jail if you said anything wrong, that you would be enslaved. I mean, you had no rights. And if you're thrust into that particular environment, you can't wait to be free in generation after generation after generation. Hoped for something better. Now, you might feel that. You might know what it's like to hope for something better. Maybe in your life you feel a bit oppressed, or maybe in your life things aren't where you want them to be. And you would love for God to intervene, and you've been waiting and waiting and waiting. And I want to read a couple of verses to you that may help you just a bit. In fact, let's focus on the first of this verse. But when the right time came, not when people were fed up, not when they had had enough, not when they hoped for it. When God determined the time was right. God is sovereign. That means He does what He wants to do when He wants to do it. And I believe He makes the right decision every time. Because we don't have all the information. God has all the information. When the time was right, God sent His Son, who was born of a woman and lived under the law. God did this so He could buy freedom because they were so oppressed for those who were under the law and so we could become His children. The, the good news of Christmas is God sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Now, interesting in this genealogy. One more thing. Let me, let me point out one more thing. There's this rhythm to it. I mean, we just read it. Uh, David was the father of Solomon. Uh, Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abijah. Abijah, the father of Asa. And on and on it goes. There's a rhythm to it until, until you get to Jesus. Mathan was the father of Jacob, and Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who's called the Messiah, which means the Deliverer. Interesting. See, Jesus is God's Son. Jesus is God's Son. It, it is remarkable to me. And, and the, the good news of Christmas is that God's family can be your family. For some reason... God chose to invite us into His family. 
it certainly isn't because we're worthy or we've earned it. We are neither, and we've done neither. We are not worthy. We sure haven't earned it. And yet God, through Christ, offers us forgiveness of sins and a welcome into the family. It's amazing. He came into the world, this very world He created. It's talking about Jesus. But the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people and even they rejected Him. But to all who believe Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. To all who believe Him and accept Him. And that means whatever your family history and however dark it might be in your life right now, and no matter what circumstance you came from, he invites, it says, all who believe and accept. You might have thought in your life, I, I'm going to go to this church program and I'm going to see these kids because they're cute and thank you for you know, coming and I appreciate you being here. You may need, have needed to hear today that God welcomes you into the family. You might, have thought, you, you might have thought, well, I'm never going to be good enough. Those people won't accept me. To all who believe Him and all who accept Him, He gave the right to become children of God. When I was seven years old, I made a decision to ask Jesus to forgive my sins and to guide my life. And I became one of the children of God. And the good news today is that you can become a child of God as well. You can become a children of God as well. You can become a child of God as well. If you believe and accept. I'm going to pray for us right now. And then we're going to take up an offering. And I'll explain that to you in just a second. But let me tell you this. The welcome mat is out for you. If you've never crossed over the line from doubt to belief, if you've never crossed into faith in Jesus, the welcome mat is out. You've never done anything that would disqualify you from crossing from unfaith to faith. Father, we are humbled that you sent your son and that Jesus' family was kind of whacked out like some of our families. And so when we struggle with our families, certainly Jesus struggled with his. He knows what we're going through today. And I'm thankful that you loved us so much that you sent your son to take away our sins. I'm thankful, God, that the invitation to be one of your children is for all people who will believe and accept. That is awesome news. And I pray, God, that there will be anybody in the room today who's not made that choice yet. That today would be the day. That this would be the greatest day in their history. Because, Lord, we know that someday our lives are going to fade away. And that someday we're going to just be a distant memory or not a memory at all. But today we can make an eternal difference 
we can make an eternal difference in our destinies by believing and accepting. I pray, God, if, there any, if there's anybody here that's not done that, that they would. We love you and we thank you for all you've done for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.